Clay in the uh, the episode Rise that we're just about to talk about. Mm. Why did they shoot the asteroid so late in the yeah. cold open? Shouldn't they yeah, have shot great, it a long time ago? Great question. Great okay. question. Um, I found myself thinking that as well. Janeway even took a, po- a, a pause. She was like, she was, she like stared at it for a minute and goes, fire. <laughs> She's yeah. like, just, just shoot it right away. And then later when they're like, there's 12 more coming, it's like, yeah, okay. I mean, you're in a spaceship. Yeah, go, 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 can, <laughs> go blow them up. If you blow them up, the further away you blow them up, the more Less the chance. trajectory will yeah. miss the planet. Yeah. No, that's right. We're not, we're not even rocket scientists when we understand the flaws with the, the science of this episode called Rise. I haven't been a rocket scientist for like a, a, a while. Do you think? And, and I know this. Do you still, um, do you think rocket scientist is still the height of intellectual? Because that saying was to come about in like the 1950s, right? Or whenever, like whenever sure. getting on the moon was like a big thing. Um, I don't know if a rocket I mean, scientist I, is still I the think it's still a pretty big thing. <laughs> but you can, you can be like, um, you know, because uh, like SpaceX and stuff, like a lot of a lot of the sort of strangeness about SpaceX is that they don't seem to mind when like the rocket doesn't do the job. Like they blow up a lot of the time. That's, you yeah, know? that's because they're not government subsidized. <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> it's the only way you learn. I, I buy his argument. It's the only way that you learn what actually works is to to, to have it blow up every once. Well, in a while, also to be fair, mm. before we made it to the moon, a lot of them blew up. That's true. Chim- a lot of chimpanzees dead. Rest in peace, and chimpanzees. People. Yep. And people. Let's not forget people. Yeah. Uh, how, how many went up before people actually died in them? Uh, Apollo 1, I think, was the famous one that it, that blew up. People I don't died? Even think it, yeah. I don't even think it made it out of the atmosphere. Oh, really? Apollo 1? Well, let me check real quick here. Because I would have... I, um, I thought it was... I don't know if it was Challenger was the first one. Like I, I, I would assume maybe someone died, but I, I would have. It seemed to me that the way they were doing it, 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 felt, it felt like it had a very high success rate for a long time, and people were shocked when it actually failed. Yeah, Apollo One uh, blew up. Mission never flew. Cabin fired during launch rehearsal. Killed the th- uh, three crew members during rehearsal. So it wasn't even. It wasn't the real launch, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Maybe that's why it's not treated. But interesting. All right. Well, I was wrong. This is Rise, episode 19 of season three of Star Trek Voyager. It came out on February 26, 1997. Teleplay goes to our buddy Brandon Braga. Story credit goes to Jimmy Diggs, directed by Robert Shearer. This is like New York, the episode, in-universe date, unknown specifically. It's 2373. In this one called Rise, Voyager defends a planet that is being bombarded by asteroids, which is not a great log line. Uh, they could They could change that a little bit, but... So I think my first, my first thing about this one is, uh, is this the, is this the episode that features the largest collection of guest actors who are all <laughs> uniformly terrible at being actors? You know what I mean? Like there was, yeah, I could, I didn't know if it was a budget cut or if they were just extremely unlucky and who was available to play guest star aliens of the week. But it normally. In a group of aliens, they're normally somewhat competent. There might be someone who sticks out as like, well, that guy is not not very good at playing this alien role. But here, I thought everyone except for the old ambassador at the start mm-hmm. who's on Voyager, I thought they were all terrible, like just embarrassingly bad actors for what they needed to do. Yeah, I actually thought the guy who turns out to be the, uh, the, the double mole. agent there, yeah. I actually thought that they had um, ADR'd his entire 
vocal track because mm-hmm. it was so it was strange. It did not seem like the way a human being speaks. And I don't know if that was like a method acting choice or what, but it was not, not great. This is how aliens speak. Yep. So it's uh, This is Rise. It's the one with the space elevator with Tuvok and Neelix. Um, Fantastic space elevator, the special effects, though, I do have to yeah. say. <laughs> well, I mean, it came out before. Which, which was the Star Trek? Was it? Star Trek 09? Is that the one that has that? The that? Space Elevator? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's the the or the, the mine shaft or whatever they say that it is in that, but that's that's the one, I think, right? So I, I guess Voyager's more influential on later Trek than I realized, having not seen all of Voyager, but it feels like modern Trek references either inadvertently or intentionally uh, a lot of Voyager ideas, which is um I don't know what that says about anything. Not, not that a space elevator is a, an unheralded or an unbelievable thing to come up with, but it struck me mm-hmm. as something. I don't know. There's not a lot else that really strikes me about the episode, so I was thinking about Star Trek 09. What did you think of Rise? Um, I thought this was a perfectly serviceable three of an episode. Okay. Like, I just... It was fine. It was right, right down the middle. Uh, I thought the Tuvok and Neelix stuff was kind of interesting. Um... And I, 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 I like that they actually held on to and committed to that plot thread for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything Sorry, else. Sorry, what, what do you mean committed to that plot thread? <clears throat> well, the idea that Neelix thinks that Tuvok is doesn't take him seriously, and that you know Tuvok uh, Neelix feels the need to, to try and prove himself and all that yep. kind of stuff. I thought that stuff was fine. It was it was uh, probably one of the more interesting things they've done with Neelix lately. Um. Because he's trying to become a Starfleet officer, and Tuvok clearly doesn't clearly thinks he's wasting his time. So yeah. having the, a pushback there, and you know they get into that kind of slightly hacky dialogue about uh, Vulcans never going with going with their gut and all that kind of stuff, which was yeah. which was fine. Yeah. Um, everything else was what it what it is. It's yeah. like, I, I the first thing I thought is when they. When they got to the planet, or when they started, when they took the shuttle down, my first thought was, when was the last time on this show there was a clean shuttle mission? No, Every they, time they take the shuttle, <laughs> something horrible happens. <laughs> They've crashed so many shuttles on this show. It's just, it's not, you know, forget about Apollo 1. It, there, there hasn't, they haven't had a successful launch of a shuttle the entire run yeah. of the series, I don't think. Give up on it. Um. I thought the the asteroids as missiles was a fun idea. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I didn't think that that was really in service of much because that was just kind of like a, you know, it, it was sort of the, the, the tail end to yeah. the wraparound story more than anything else. It didn't really have much to do with the actual meat of the episode. It killed me, the scene with Chakotay hitting the thing with a hammer, and then they pop it open. They're like, I've never seen an asteroid like this. It's like I'm a, a computer is in Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they just happened to get the piece that exploded off of the the asteroid they blew up yep. that had the computer yep. fully intact inside yep. it. <laughs> I just she goes to hitting it with the hammer and then just like popping it off. So in that way that like a prop asteroid will pop open, it's just like a little styrofoam uh, hat on top of it, and it, it exposes it. Yeah, rises. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you remember it, but uh, we did an episode, or you and Darren Mooney actually did it because I wasn't around, but I watched the episode. Uh, there's an episode in Deep Space Nine called Ascent, 
which is where Odo and Quark get stranded after a shuttlecraft. Oh, of and course. They're on the mountain yes. with each other. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great one. This is uh there's not there's no bigger of a highlight of a difference, I think, between DS9 and Voyager, yes. really. Um this to me is another it's another Voyager episode where they the show is again unwilling to really do any kind of character work. So what they do is they have these episodes that are based around a sci-fi plot instead, where it does this, you know, just I'll keep calling it like an enterprisey thing, or it's even a new trek thing, where they'll they'll introduce a little bit of a problem and then they'll come up with like another little bit of a problem. So they'll like solve a problem very quickly and then a new thing will pop up and that'll become the the problem that they have to solve. Yeah. So it's like, you know, they can't, they they have to find the elevator. They get on the elevator. Oh, the thing's broken. Oh, the guy is going crazy. The guy's trying to launch the thing. They're up on the thing now. Oh, it's not going fast enough. Oh, Neelix didn't know exactly what was going on. And so they, they keep adding these things, which is, you know, in a normal drama, which is all fine and good and that you should be doing it. But what they this show doesn't do in the way that DS9 did with The Ascent is that, you have to have the Neelix and Tuvok thing be like central to the problem. Right. It. You know, it's yeah. like Voyager just sticks it in, you know, it's like 15 minutes from the end. So it's what you were saying. They, they don't even have enough character work to carry them to the end of the episode. They come up with a spy plot to get there, you know? Right. Yeah. It, it, it's just, it feels so, it just feels so stupid. It, it doesn't feel interesting in the way that like Odo and Quark is kind of fun to watch them actually talk to each other because they are combative with each other. And there's a, like, you know, there's an actual like interesting tingle of dialogue sometimes between those two, but new Tuvok and Neelix are just Tuvok hates Neelix. That's like, that's right. That's yeah. that. That's the only thing that goes on in that story. Yeah, it's, it's fine. Um, I think it's funny because, like, I, I think obviously, much like Deep Space Nine figured out, the answer would be to force Tuvok and Neelix to work together by themselves. Right. Yeah. But I feel like that's every other episode of Voyager now is two people get stranded somewhere and then, you know, it, it's like they to get out. Yeah. yeah. They have to keep throwing in these sci fi things, too. And I know it's funny. I'm sure there's somebody screaming at their at their phone or their car stereo whatever saying it's a science fiction show why are you mad that there's sci-fi plots in it mm -hmm. but it's it's just that they are so clearly window dressing yeah, yeah. uh in a way that isn't is ever really satisfying like there's no i i don't feel any stakes really to um asteroid even... missiles from a uh like the fact that the fact that this episode ends with Neelix just explaining everything, yeah, yeah, <laughs> was like, all right, I don't know if this is the right way to do this, yeah, but I guess you got to get all the information out somehow. I suppose I don't know. It's all just like the, you know, it's kind of it's a lack of investments in the idea or something. Like I didn't even think that they came up with an interesting use of the space elevator, which is kind of a neat thing. And like I, I just feel that if you had um maybe if they Elder. had a little bit more more time or they had something else going on, there's a little bit of like other than just fighting on top of it and kicking the guy out the door to to solve mm -hmm. the problem. I, I feel like there's some there's some interesting things that you could get into there, but they, they don't even really you know it, it, 
it, it's a sci-fi plot, but it doesn't even really want to do anything with the sci-fi angle of the plot of being on the elevator. Because I'd be all for a very clever episode that has them on a space elevator that comes up with incredibly interesting problems that you would run into on a space elevator. Like, I'm, I'm okay with that. I Do we know that there are such things, though? Because I, the two space elevators that they've, that they've had in Star Trek mm-hmm. have been very similar in the way that they've been used. Because in two, Star Trek 2009, all they did was have a punch fight on top of the elevator, yeah, much yeah. similar to how they do here. I, I think it's one of those things, you know, it's a as a concept space elevator is fascinating yep but and it, it's a good set piece but i don't really know what you would you do once you get there yeah, yeah. unless you've got like unless your episode is about the the ride i guess you know if it's like two people stuck in the space elevator <laughs> just killing time to get up to the top uh, yeah i don't know i i'm not really sure where you go other than oh it's a space of space elevators are kind of cool that's fair it's an ele- I, it's an elevator that goes to space it's it's it is fair maybe maybe there's not anything you could really do with it i guess it just it comes back to like odo and cork were just climbing up a mountain you know it's like right, they got, yeah. one of them got hurt and it was cold and things like that it's it's it doesn't the setup isn't particularly important but i do feel that you could do you gotta you gotta come up with here's a question even how weird it is yeah i don't i don't know how conceptually space elevators are supposed to work but yeah you know when you re-enter the atmosphere famously you burn up because of the massive amount of friction and all that kind of stuff right mm-hmm. and this because of the speed that you're going at if, if you were going on a space elevator that was traveling at a slower speed would that not be an issue what's traveling at a slower speed so the space elevator going up and down going up and down is not free falling into the atmosphere the way a, a spaceship right, would. And right. So theoretically the friction yep. would not be as intense. Right. You could slow it is, down and just slowly yeah. go down. Yep. Would it not be an issue or is there just like anytime you enter the atmosphere, you have to pass through a wall of fire? <laughs> I don't think it would be an issue. I think it's the speed of hitting the air or hitting, or hitting the like air molecules that would cause a problem. So I, I would, I mean, I don't think there's any way that the space elevator could work because it seems like, I don't know what it's tied to on the other side. Is it tied to a moon or something? Right. I have no idea. Yeah. So I would imagine you'd, you'd have a lot of uh, torque <laughs> on the, the elevator yeah. shaft or whatever they have. So I, I, a lot of pulleys in that system. Yeah. It's got, it's got to have a lot of uh, safety features, which apparently Neelix was not altogether uh, up to date on, but I don't know. I, I think it's like a, um, it was certainly a middling episode. I find I find it just it's just surprising to me. I guess that like they they don't want to they're they're not interested in really having Tuvok and Neelix have any kind of conversation about anything. And like the the Neelix's backstory was starting to get to me here too because it's not the first time they brought up that he comes from like a war torn background. You know, and right. it seems just so desperate to make him not be a clown character. That it's like kind of like a, what they did with Loxana Troy, which is to explain that the reason she's so controlling of her daughter and everything is because in the seventh season of TNG, they revealed that she had a daughter that died as a child. You know, so it like mm. that reconfigures your understanding of the characters to why she is so annoying. 
the the entire prior six seasons that you've seen her. But here, it's like it doesn't re, it doesn't reconceptualize Neelix or anything. It doesn't do anything. I find Neelix is. Um, I don't even sympathize with Neelix and what he decides to do when he constantly like lies about his knowledge of things, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's a, I don't even find that like I'm with Tuvok at that point be like what the fuck? Like you told us you could you told us you knew what was going on in this thing and we got onto it not that we had any better any other better options, but you you clearly just lied and overpresented yourself. Well, you know, he wants to impress him so badly, you know. Yeah. People are Mr. People Vulcan. Are, Lying on their resumes constantly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what the truth I've, is on a resume. I've never had the self-confidence to do that. I know there's plenty of people who are just like, yeah, I don't have the qualifications for this job, but they don't need to know that. I just do not. The amount of stress and anxiety I would have if I got the job that I was not prepared to do. Mm-hmm. Would would the the potential of that is enough for me to just go like you know what I don't even want to put myself in that position. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on what you're going into, right? Like if you're if you're clearly unqualified, I think that's one thing. But there's mm-hmm. always these weird stories about they like a company fires you know their CFO or something because they lied on a resume when he hired when they hired him ten years ago. Mm-hmm. And my thing is, has he not been doing a good job? For the 10 years, right. like, yeah. why fire him about that? Like, who cares? He, you got the guy that you seem to be happy with because you kept right. him for so long. That was always my concern about that stuff. I, like that uh, Michael J. Fox movie, The Secret of My Success, where he, he works in the mailroom. Yeah. Oh. He, he works, he goes to work at this, you know, yuppie 80s company. Yes. Right. Gordon in the mailroom. Yeah. Yeah. In the mailroom. But then he just parks it in the newly emptied office at, and the company's so big nobody realizes he doesn't work there yep. and so he just becomes like vice president overnight because right. he says that he is. It's that Seinfeld episode he just, George just walks in yes, and acts like exactly. he has a job there and they, they, they invite him in mm-hmm. yeah uh, but on the other hand all resumes are lies I think like there's just it is not a uh, you know you're, you're pitching yourself as something that needs to fit the job as opposed to what you actually are but Nothing more tedious than rewriting your resume, too. Uh, yeah, that's why I don't do it anymore. Luckily, I, I, <laughs> that's why, luckily I chose, a, for better or worse, I chose a career that right. doesn't really need you got resumes. You don't need a resume. You just have the, you have the portfolio or whatever. Yeah, I, I had one early in my career, but it was like nobody gives a shit. About, nobody's looking at your resume when they're hiring <laughs> you to draw something. <laughs> no, that's a good, great example of can you draw it? I'm like, yeah, I can draw it. I'm like, All right, great. Let's yeah. do it. Just put it on the resume. Just draw it in right over here on this uh, this margin. Now, because I do a lot of resume review type stuff now, just when people mm-hmm. come and like join uh, whatever group you're working in. And it, there is a um, bad resumes are very easy to see. Like it's you think they're not important, but they're 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 almost less important about what the person has on there than what's more important is like how they've constructed it. Really? So like mm. it's very easy to tell who is just spamming resumes because they don't update it enough, you know, and it's like you are clearly just like shooting resumes out everywhere because you'll put like looking for a job in like hydroponics and you have like nothing to do with that at the job, you know, the job that they're that you're offering them or anything like that. So yeah. it's, it's clearly it's like a it's less about what your experience is and more just like, can you actually put this together? Did you put any kind of effort into this to make it? 
seem like you're at least interested in the uh, the job. But yeah, I knew a lot of people coming out of college who would put a lot of effort into the design of their resume. Yeah, I still do, but it's yeah. it's tough. What do you, what do you yeah, think about know. that? Is that is that worth the effort? I, as someone who has never gotten a job based on a resume, yeah. I, I can't honestly speak to that. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I've always kind of been of the mindset of like, I don't know if you if the resume should kind of speak for itself to mm. a certain extent. Mm-hmm. It's like if you if you have a job, if you have a history of work that's applicable, then I don't care if you print it on pink paper or if you print it on the back of a napkin, you know? <laughs> yeah. I do judge it. Resumes are kind of, in my opinion, anyway, resumes are kind of like um, scripts in that there's like, there's a screenwriting rule about like, you can't, you got to have the right amount of white space on the page to make it mm-hmm. readable. Yeah. And I feel resumes do fit into that. Like you don't want too much ink on the, you, you don't want a re, you don't want a resume that takes two minutes to read through. You know, it's like, it's got to be quick and you got to, you got to, get the the top points that were taken away immediately from it but that's about it so i don't i because I, I used to get hung up on like the because you can go on like word.com and get like all the billion templates that they offer right, and you can like download right. one and, and customize it but just make it clean and make it readable and i think that accomplishes everything you need unlike you gotta the put jokes in it you gotta put jokes in it you gotta have make people make sure people have a good time that's the, the stuff little, that I, I get tired the, of by <laughs> The one thing I will say, I, we didn't have resumes so much, but we we did portfolios were obviously a big part of our yeah above uh, my uh, schoolwork and coming out of school and how you get jobs and stuff. And uh, man, like there was an era that I was not. I, I was in art school after this era had kind of ended because we were everyone had moved to email basically, but <laughs> the teachers. <laughs> I know I sound like I'm a million years old. Yeah. Uh, but the teachers still were of the pre-email era. Yeah. And so, like, they would value very highly making a portfolio that you can leave behind that leaves an impression. And, like, I hmm. I remember seeing a kid who had, for his portfolio, he had handcrafted a wooden box. Wow. Like an ornate wooden box. And inside were each of his pieces printed and mounted on, like, solid pieces of like masonite or wood or something like it was like a it was like a an event this portfolio (laughs) and i don't know if the work really lived up to it but it was like it was one of those things would he take the box home with him after he'd he would it well this is the other thing it's like there was there was this period of time where you would drop your portfolio off and then come back and pick it up oh wow and so yeah i know (laughs) (laughs) and so like the idea would be you're dropping off this you know what looks like a cursed object you picked up in chinatown or something and then uh uh you're then gonna returning get a job. Th- three days later yes yeah. uh you're gonna get a job based on it. and i'm like i always felt like i don't know man like print it on a nice piece of paper and put it in a a, a binder that doesn't look like it costs 30 cents right. and let, Con- let your work speak for itself it. <laughs> yeah yeah, that's true. Wow, I didn't realize people would have to actually go back. That's kind of that's almost uh, you know if you don't get the job, it's just an embarrassment yeah. central having to go collect your box with your right your stuff. Well, the it. thing is, like the creative arts for a long time. I mean, I guess it kind of always is, but for a long time, it kind of turned into a bit of an arms race, where you know, uh, like Drew Struz and the poster artist mm-hmm. talks about how when he started doing posters, 
he would start doing these layout like comps that were finished drawings basically and nobody was doing that and so he was getting the jobs because he was doing such tight comps and then everybody started doing that and then it became this arms race where once everybody started doing finished drawings he started doing finished paintings Mm. and so it it just kept uh, going further and further until like you've got people doing these comps for jobs they might not get and they're doing finished paintings that probably took them like multiple days to do and then you end up not getting the job, you know? So it's it's yeah, one of those weird things where it's just escalation after escalation. Because I posted a podcast on the Discord today. It was about a conversation about the um, the Hollywood strike. And mm-hmm. that was actually a point of contention that the Writers Guild is working towards, which is that they think that um, they're not currently... So th- what, the, what they're fighting for, one of the things that they want to... to gain in this negotiation is if they get inv- if you get invited to pitch you should be paid for that mm-hmm. so which is what you're saying which is that like uh, apparently now it's like uh, the, the guy who's on the show who's been working in, as a writer or whatever was just saying like back in like the 90s when he started pitching was just like you went in with like your index card and you kind of like free balled right. you know you just kind of like right, you know yeah. see how you got along and what if people liked you and your ideas they're saying now it's like you know, someone asks uh, HBO asks you to come in and pitch to them about how you would do a miniseries about Chernobyl, right? Like you have to do mm-hmm. an astounding amount of work before you right. go in. And uh, the Writers Guild is just saying, fairly, I think, just saying that like we should be yeah. you should be paid for the time that you have to put into that. But not me, man. I'd be the guy who rolled in there and went like, "Where's you know, Chernobyl? <laughs> this is about Chernobyl, but what it's really about is the people." And I would focus in on the people and tell their stories. So there's this no space no elevator. research needed. <laughs> it goes it goes up, and we have a character with funny hair on it who talks. That's about why. That's why when I got out of college, when I started leaving my portfolio at places, I would have an entire uh, New Orleans funeral jazz band right. uh, walk in, each holding a single piece of my artwork to, to gently lay on the table <laughs> as they, you know, did their umbrella dance out of there. That's right. It's another Very expensive. It's another uh, Seinfeld episode where George leave, George thinks that people are talking about him when he leaves meetings, and so he leaves his briefcase with a tape recorder in it <laughs> running, and he has to go back in to get it. Um, I don't know. Anyway, Rise. Uh, we loved this episode, clearly. Yeah, it was, a, it was a good one. See, I guess, well, I mean, I guess we can, you said you were going to give it a three. Do, do you? Uh, yeah, it was fine. Like, I don't know. It was, that, yeah. Yeah, it was it was yeah, it was fine. Hmm. I don't know. It didn't really it's honestly, it's probably not as good as that, but it just seemed like it was a down the pipe yeah. middle of the road Voyager episode to me. Had all the played all the hits. Yeah. Yeah. Shuttlecraft thing goes wrong. Uh new <laughs> alien race that's in some yeah. sort of nondescript war with another group of people. Yeah. Uh, recycled alien design that looks a little bit too much like the Cardassians, but isn't. Yeah, they look a little bit like the Cardassians, and then there was an aliens in uh, season. I think it's liaisons in season seven of TNG where they're just wearing like black leotards. That's kind of what these guys are pulling off. Yeah, yeah. I um, so I as always try to uh, on the ranking system like. A three of TNG does not need like a three of Voyager is not 
distinct from a three of T and G. Like they exist on the same scale with each other, I guess. Sure. Um, which is to say, like if one series was terrible, uh, the rating wouldn't change just because it was like an average episode of a terrible show, basically. Sure. Which sure. is not. I'm not saying that we have to stick to that, but I, I guess that my my reason why I'm going to be giving it a late, a lower review, I suppose, is that like, um, I, I these Voyager episodes are just not. Um, there's no, there's no like hook to them at all. Yeah. Like I, I watch it and I, I wait, I'm like, when is something going to happen that makes me interested in this episode? And right, a lot right. of them just don't ever get to that point of doing something that's interesting. And it's, you know, we talked about it before. It's just, it's, it's funny how quickly, it's funny how much Voyager moved into Enterprise or how much like Enterprise absorbed from it uh, in terms of what they wanted to do. But it's been a real it's been a real change coming off TNG and DS9, if you're looking at it chronologically, about how Voyager wants to tell its stories. And, um, you know, I was just when Tuvok and Neelix are sort of like um, in the elevator and something's gone wrong with it and they're, you know, they're fiddling with the buttons and stuff. I was just thinking back to like TS, TNG and DS9 definitely have moments and episodes where characters are sort of fiddling with buttons and saying techno babble, right? Yeah. But I never felt like 95% of an episode in those shows was doing that kind of thing. And right, Voyager yeah. feels like it, it, it really depends on pushing a lot of buttons and saying shit and not actually doing anything about it. Like they don't get into the war here. There's no yeah. real interesting spy drama about like who of us is the spy. You know, it just kind of is a thing that's happening. Yeah. There's no people are being poisoned and there's not a lot of like interrogation right. of it. <laughs> and there's not a lot of like they're not talking about the war. They don't talk about Tuvok and Neelix and how they're in. There's like so many things that you could talk about and none of it is discussed except for pushing buttons. Yeah, I honestly thought the most interesting thing in the episode was just a throwaway line that they didn't get into at all, which was when they blew up the first asteroid and it didn't quite work and they were had more coming in uh one of them i can't remember if it was janeway or one of the other guys the alien guys was like all right prepare everybody we need to evacuate and they're like there's no way we can evacuate that many people in the time that we have i'm like oh that's actually kind of interesting right that yeah, would yeah. that would be a, a good episode is who has to die what yeah what can voyager do to evacuate these people is it even you know, is there someone on the ship who makes a uh, prime directive argument that, like, I don't know, maybe we shouldn't evacuate these people? Yeah, right. Yeah, no, they the asteroids are coming. They got plenty of time, and we're gonna Chicote is gonna hit that thing with a hammer and figure out what the asteroids are doing. What a what a it was a weird little spy plot just to have like your enemies have been bombing your planet with asteroids or missiles disguised as asteroids or something. Yeah, the the spy thing felt so tacked on yeah like the, yeah. the the destroying of the asteroids that are coming to destroy the planet i felt like what was interesting enough um that i don't know if they really needed the spy stuff but i, I that being said i did like the oh it's actually missiles yeah um yeah. but so i guess you can't do that without following through in some fashion right someone's saying but, I, but I, yeah i um 
Yeah, I guess so. It's it. I, maybe it seems like a little bit of an unnecessary mystery, really. Like you could, sure, they could sure. kind of maybe at the start realize that these aren't normal asteroids, right? And this is some kind of weapon being fired at them. But I, I guess that would result in the episode where they have to go out and seek out who's doing it, and that's not really what they want to do. Um, you know, it'd be cool if they were missiles fired from a planet that's so far away and so they were fired so long ago that the planet they're fired yes, from has died. Yeah, yeah. And so like the missiles are actually have been turned into asteroids cause they've just like calcified. Oh, yeah, right. Like, uh, yeah. Ice is like collected around them and stuff like yeah, that. That'd yeah. be kind of cool. Did that? No, that's not the, that's not a, uh, strange new worlds episode. What was that? There was that, there was an alien ship that looked like an, a comet, right? That good episode? Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, that was Strange New Worlds. Yeah. yeah, that was a pretty good episode of that show. Yeah, that was bad. Um, what else about Rise? Um, there's a The Doctor has a pretty decent joke, I thought, which made me notice, which is that Vulcans are notoriously difficult to impress. Mr. Tuvok seldom acknowledges my brilliance, which I thought was <laughs> a pretty good Doctor line. Although... Um, I was very upset that like there was no when when Neelix names the elevator after his sister. I really wanted Tuvok to just deadpan a joke of like, did you call it that because it goes down easily or something like that? But <laughs> it does it does not it does not get to that insulting of the dead sister uh, quick enough for my liking. Uh, I don't know, and I, actually, you know. I'm just looking at the memory alpha now. The guy's name is Vadim, and I had the uh, subtitles on for the end of the episode, and I, I couldn't mm. believe they were spelling his name V-A-T-M. I thought it was a subtitle mistake, but that's actually how his name oh. is spelled in the episode. So. All right. Whatever. Um, anything else about this one, or should we just go to patron thoughts? This I is the second. Just go to patrons. This is the second of the trilogy of terror. We didn't talk about that. I think a couple of oh, patrons really? bring it up. The three that are terrible. Are bad, yeah. Yeah, you know, it was, I don't know. It was fine. I, I think I'm, some of these I'm just a little bit desensitized Yeah, not to. interested in them. Do, do you remember, was it Darkling? Was that the one that we just did before this? Yes. Yeah. Darkling Duck. Yeah. Yes. Was that, um, oh, that was the Evil Doctor one. Yeah. Did you like this one or the Evil Doctor one better? I think probably this one. Okay. Um, I think I think that you know they they suffered from the same problems though, where it's like there's a couple interesting ideas, yeah. and you know at least this one tried to centerpiece the Tuvok and Neelix thing. Yeah, feels you similar know? though, right? Like Darkling tried to do the Doctor is jealous of Kess, or he's jealous right. of he doesn't want to lose Kess, you know, and it's yeah. like. It's there, so it, like you can't you can't say that there is not a a I don't want to say focus, but like the script is acknowledging that this is something that's going on, right? But at the same time, it's totally unwilling to um, talk about it. It's just it's like it's not. I just it's a really it's an interesting decision to make, like you to do it consistently too. So there's clearly a like a force behind the scenes that's saying like, don't talk about the character work of this. Like, let's just move past that. And that's not the kind of show that this is supposed to be. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Patreon.com slash the Penske is the way to support the show. 
if you want to listen to more thrilling podcast commentary like this one I'm talking about, <laughs> Rise, you can get on your own Patreon elevator and go all the way up. Make sure the speed stays sufficient so that you stick to the mag landing or whatever the fuck they were talking about. We, sh- we should have really confused everyone and just uh, used this episode to talk about Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, I was actually th- – because there's Dark Knight Rises – uh, yep. Did you ever play Altered Beast on the Nintendo? Oh, yeah. Altered it, Beast was great. Because at the beginning, it goes, rise from your grave. And I always yep. remember that. As, yeah, they use that clip in the opening for last podcast on the left. Oh, they do? Okay. Yeah. 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 So it's... Great game. There's a lot of there's a lot of better content out there with Rise in the title. I still haven't I seen Rise talk, of the Skywalker. I feel like we could talk much longer about the Dark Knight Rises than we could this episode. <laughs> We haven't covered. We haven't covered. I guess we we're waiting for your badass has to cover those movies. Yeah, right? we've never yeah. done those. Yeah. yeah, Dark Knight Rises is like two thirds of a good movie. Yes. Yeah. I, I, the the uh, the plane crash scene. We've talked about that in some episode, but that, that is something that scene. Uh, let's see. So patreon.com slash the Pensky file. If you support the show, you can leave your uh, thoughts about upcoming episodes. You get extra podcasts, all that good stuff. It's patreon.com slash the Pensky file. So we're going to read the comments now. I've got you in the little Discord window. I'll go first. Kyle Barrett says, rise. Some things are just made to go together. Fish and chips, strawberries and cream, Wes and clay, sailing ships and slavery, Odo and Quark, but not, however, Tuvok and Neelix. The scenes between the two were fun for the first couple of seasons, but now what little genuine conflict there is between them has run dry and repetitive. It's just not deep enough to hinge an episode on. And then at a spy plot I don't care about, another shuttlecraft crash and a wasted use of the classic sci-fi space elevator idea, and you get one of the dullest and most interminable episodes yet. Thankfully, Prodigy, a great show, by the way, does the space elevator thing again in a far superior episode, although Mm. good luck finding somewhere to watch it. One shit show at the fuck factory out of five. <laughs> I I bet Doctor Who would do the space elevator really well because I feel like that's mm-hmm. the kind of show that would do the entire episode is a bottle episode that takes place on the space elevator yeah. as it goes up to the destination. And there's like, it's like a murder mystery or something. I could see a Black Mirror episode doing the same thing, being very good sure. for some reason. But I don't it's about know. a kid, but a kid who jumps into the space elevator, hits all the buttons, and then jumps out. <laughs> oh no! And you try to wipe your mind of it. It's Text. gonna take 40, 40 years to get up there. <laughs> it could be like that. Um, what was that Bandersnatch? Uh, oh, Black yeah. Mirror. It's like you can you just get to pick every floor of the space elevator button and see what happens on that floor. That was cool. Nobody talks about that anymore. That no, was pretty it was, hot when it came out. But. Yeah, it was cool. It was um. Didn't was we, that a did, pandemic thing? Did we do? Uh, I think it was pre-pandemic. I believe. Yeah. yeah. Didn't we cover that on Patreon, Bandersnatch? I do not remember. We might have, but yeah, if we didn't, I think it suffers from the same, um, the same problem that like branching video game stories suffer from, which is that like I'll get to a point like I. For me to really connect with the story, I feel like there has to be like a one true solution type thing to it. And mm-hmm. if you just have various random things that can happen, it always feels a little bit unsatisfying going through all the versions of it. Like it's there's a, you know, video games always have multiple endings. There's like a good, a bad and like an average ending or whatever. And sometimes you're just like, oh, it kind of devalues the what I consider to be the best narrative ending of these things yeah. to, to go through all the other ones that are lesser. Was 
did Bandersnatch have a thing? I can't remember built into it where once you went through, when you went back through again, it like gave you a new set that's like started to become oh, I don't aware remember. that started to become aware that you had are doing it again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like games will sometimes allow you to jump to the end because you've already gone through it once, you know, so like, so you don't have to repeat the entire thing. Oh no. I, I mean like, I mean, like if you go through it once and you get one of the endings and then you go back and start it again. Is it a different story at that point? Is it a different storyline? So like it's doing the same stuff, but yeah. the, the characters in it are like, wait a minute, this all feels really familiar. Like mm. basically a choose your own adventure, like a uh, 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 cause and effect episode. Yeah, I don't I don't think so. I don't remember that. I, I probably also didn't redo it after finishing the movie. I, is there a good ending to that? I don't even remember. I don't remember. Kimmy Schmidt did it too. They did. It was oh, really good. Yeah, I remember that that one being very good. It's a it's a fun concept. I'm not I'm not opposed to it. It's just it's a it's a novelty for sure. Tax says rise. Excellent interaction between Tuvok and Neelix. The only thing keeping the former from strangling the latter is a one room mystery, which actually works fairly well. Also, Tuvok totally has to have the last word. That's true. I did. <laughs> this episode is kind of a murder mystery on a on a space elevator so maybe yeah. i think doctor who just would have done it better probably yeah i don't just i wouldn't even know if this is con- like technically a mystery uh this is justice for tunshu rise arise chicken chicken arise <laughs> i know a lot of people hate neelix but i think he's the perfect character to really stretch tuvok's vulcan composure that he talked about in that discussion with chakotay from season one I always found the development of their relationship to be a positive of this show. It wasn't as strong through most of this episode, but it's a start, and I did like the ending. Rest rest of the episode, though, was pretty forgettable. Two spaceship, wandering Tuvox out of five. I don't feel there's enough meat on the bone between these two to mm. drive anything. Um, to me, it seems like it largely just stems from tu- uh, Neelix's desperation for Tuvok to like him. Really? You know, they kind of they say that in this episode that they're seeking his approval. But, you know, the Odo and Quark, there was a cop and a criminal aspect to it. You know, there's like a gamesmanship right. between them. And in this, if Neelix just left Tuvok alone, there wouldn't be a problem anymore. You know, I just I don't. Right. Yeah. There's just nothing. There's nothing. Nothing going on between those two. And I, I don't find Tuvok. I don't find uh, Neelix sympathetic really so it doesn't doesn't work for me uh let's see the one time that the one time before this they put those two together they murdered him two vix yeah yes yep patrick seba says rise this app it's called rise oh man you surmise a filthy and cancel worth rhyme so berman gets ready his pulse and hand steady his mistress three shells and a lime but like it or not neelix held the plot and stayed in his sister the length of their climb Four splotchy Talaxian balls out of five. Norman Buckwald has... Did you say four? Four, yeah. Oh, wow. All right. Norman Buckwald has Rise. <clears throat> rise. The second of what fans called the Trilogy of Terror, this episode probably needed just one more revision as what's most striking and interesting is the true frenemy relationship that has been building between Neelix and Tuvok. Since, with the exception of one line in Season 7, Tuvix 
doesn't seem to have existed, and we never get any memory of this from these two characters. The refreshing Neelix confrontation to Tuvik was definitely definitely long in coming. 2.5 rising elevators out of 5. I was almost tempted to give this one a 3. Do you... Uh did you agree with Neelix? Do you find Tuvok just condescending towards him? I mean, yeah, but it's not like Neelix doesn't kind of... It's not undeserved. Is my yeah, I, undeserved isn't maybe the right word, but he's... Uh, I, I, don't people, I don't think people expect much from him. He didn't tell Tuvok you know? the truth in this one. You know, it's like... Yeah, the, he does lie to him. He yes. lies. That's, that's the thing about it. Um yeah, I just I I, I guess because it's been a couple comments, but I, I just disagree. Like I don't I don't feel that Neelix is has any grounds to really complain. You know, where it's like he's he's he usually just embarrasses himself in front of Tuvok, and I think that the problem is is that Neelix, as written, doesn't have a leg to stand on as to fight back against Tuvok because it just comes mm-hmm. down to like you don't rely on your gut feelings. So it's like, well, Neelix, like largely most of the time your gut feelings get people into trouble on this That's show. That's true. You know? Yes. Well, this time he studied a model. Yeah. So one tenth. It's still a pretty big elevator. If it's only one tenth the size of like 6,000 miles, this one was. Yeah. That's an expensive, uh, expensive model he bought there. Do, do, do. This is, Jer- uh, you just read that. So I read this. I'll admit it. I like, this is Jaron Hatch. I'll admit it. I like Neelix, especially now that he's left behind that three rolled bag Kess and gotten into a power couple with Tuvok. Here's three the th- rolled bag. Here's the thing, though. If Janeway hadn't murdered Tuvix, he'd have had that space elevator fixed and the entire group singing Kumbaya together within an hour, all while whipping them up some gourmet omelets from that lady's rations and telling jokes. No matter how good Tuvok and Neelix are separately, they'll always be better together. Three stars for naming an episode about a really long shaft rise out of five. Uh, is this the first episode where Neelix and Kess spoke to each other post-breakup? I felt like their feels scene like in it. sickbay was the first time I've seen them interact with each other. Yeah, it feels like it. I know. I was wondering. Like, I feel like that was something that they easily could have woven into this. Like, why is Neelix going so hard oh yeah yeah in the shaft as you might say yep. <laughs> <clears throat> because you know he's uh, Kess is broken up with him he doesn't know if he feels like he's got a place anymore right. he's midlife crisis like blah, 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 yeah he's blah, gotta blah, figure yeah. himself out yeah no they don't they don't they don't do that changeling says rise you know one thing i don't get about voyager the species that don't have transport technology never bat an eye at it like these guys are using space elevators, and when Tuvok tells them about beaming, none of them go, "Wait, what the fuck? You can do that?" Also, I have a weird affinity for crappy CGI effects, and when the ambassador gets blown out of the cart, chef's kiss. Four. It's only a model out of five. That is true. I mean, like I, the first time that I discovered that cars had Bluetooth technology, it was like someone from the future had come and and. Yeah. and given me the secrets to life or whatever yep. so if i if someone would just be like oh yeah no we have beaming technology i i would probably lose my mind have you ridden in a tesla or any of the new like e-cars that are computerized uh i have not like a self-drive one no just, just like just no. because the the modern e-cars are so just because you brought up bluetooth the modern e-cars sure. are like so computerized that like the connecting yeah. to your phone and everything i, I haven't been in one i'm still I'm still used to Bluetooth in a car, which to me is uh, one of the most frustrating technologies of all time is Bluetooth. But uh, yeah, I've never been strange. in a new Tesla. 
Bluetooth is strange because it feels like it should be really easy, but it, it is. Kind it of is a pain not. In the ass. It is something. Only one out of ten times is not is a wire. What am I trying to say? Only only ten percent of the time does Bluetooth feel easier than a wire plugging into your phone and listening to it that way. Yeah, I have these Bluetooth speakers that I got specifically because they have a uh, a, tr- a transponder thing that yep. I can hook up to my TV. Yeah, and so then I can send them the the um, signal to two separate Bluetooth speakers. So yep. I have kind of like a surround sound thing. Yeah, and after I got them, I I powered them up, and they just kept dropping signals after yeah. like ten minutes. <laughs> and I was like, "What the hell am I doing wrong?" And yeah. I and I, I kind of was looking into it, and I finally found like a Reddit thread. And, they, and someone was like, yeah, I tried to fix this for about three weeks, and then I finally just called the company, and they said, yeah, that's just going to happen. Yeah. And so, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I have, I drove a electric Toyota mm-hmm. SUV, which was pretty interesting, because it was definitely much more futuristic than any car I've ever driven before. Yep. And I, I rode in a Tesla recently, and for as cool as those cars look on the outside... I think the they didn't really use much design sense on the inside because oh, okay. they're kind of bare they, bones from what I've seen of they them are. on the inside, yeah. The thing that threw me off was it's this sleek kind of futury looking car, right? Yeah. And then you get in and the dashboard has like a strip of wood paneling yeah. that goes across <laughs> the entire thing and I was like, "What the hell? Like it doesn't fit in with anything else yeah. there. It's just there." And then like the the control screen just looks like someone bolted an iPad it, to, to the thing. They it are just a doesn't big. look very yeah. It doesn't look very classy. You know what I mean? Yeah, because even the the uh, like the Tacoma we had, like the, the the screen felt like it was integrated into the dash a little bit yeah. more. But the Teslas do feel like you just slapped an iPad right in front of you and you're tapping around on it. But because it must hide away, doesn't it? When the when they turn off, does it go no. inside? The, no. The, the one that I was in anyway. I don't know if it was an older model, but it was just it was just there the whole time. My, I, I always, I'm, I'm somewhat fascinated with Tesla as a company. The cars are interesting. I think the biggest accomplishment that Tesla did was they made a car that is instantly identifiable to me, who's someone who's not super familiar with cars, but it doesn't stick out as obnoxiously over-designed at the same time. Sure. You know, like, so it's yeah. like whenever I see a Tesla on the highway, I'm like, oh, there's one, there's one. But if you... If I were to point, if I were to try to attempt to describe why it's immediately identifiable, I'd have a hard time doing that because it's pretty subtle in what the differences is between. It's because it. it's because it doesn't have an air intake grill on the front and it has a T. Yeah, it has the little T. There's something about the. <laughs> there's something about the, um, like the wheel, not, not the wheel shape, but like the like the. Uh, the fuck is it called like the the, the fenders basically around the wheels yeah. or something it has some it has a unique shape to it but i uh the tea does give fan. it away in the the quiet as it sneaks up on you and tries to run you over running silently i'm a big fan of the uh hyundai ionic because it's an electric car that actually looks like a futuristic electric car but not like it, it doesn't look like a car from back to the future too it's mm. not crazy over designed yeah but it's just got enough zip to it that it feels like a like a car from the future Mm -hmm. so that's the one i've always wanted if i ever got an electric car (laughs) the thing i don't like about them is from a design standpoint the hyundai you're talking about still the same i'm talking about electric cars in general general. Uh, i feel like some of them have figured out the solution to this but a lot of them haven't is the fact that you don't need the air intake grill in the front right and so 
you kind of don't realize how integral that front piece is to a car design until you take it away. Yeah. And so you've got some of these cars that just don't know what to do with that front section. And so it's just like flat and the same color as the rest of the car and mm-hmm. there's no contouring to it or anything. And it just looks terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know what I would want. Cause it, cause I think that they, they're in the middle of trying to, cause the new Prius, right. Is that they actually gave up on the aerodynamic design of it. So they made the, the newer, newest model Prius is less aerodynamic, but it looks much better. Right. And it's just, this like balancing act. There oh, is, really? this is the Hyundai right here. Yeah. That's the Ionic. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's cool. It's like kind of sleek and get a little bit angular. I like it. Do you, do you think this one suffers from the same grill problem? Is that what no, you're No, I think, I think that they have managed to, to deal with it by, by having the piece that goes under the hood there yep. and then the kind of, uh, little plateau, black line section that goes underneath right. it i think they solved it solved it pretty well yeah this one looks like a regular regular car it doesn't look electric yeah. at all yeah. um matt ross says rise well i like that neelix shows some gumption and also admits he's a consummate liar with his experiences but yeah tuvok was acting like an asshole the alien invasion is an interesting idea but solved too quickly however the absolute useless award i think should go to chakotay what was he doing opening a rock please two rocks out of five you know, I'm. I might have to change what I just said and and go back to the Prius as my preferred electronic vehicle because I just looked up the 2023 Prius. And looks it does good. look pretty cool. It looks cool. It, it looks like yeah. a nice car. Yeah, Priuses yeah, have always looks, not looked very great, but this one looks nice. Yeah, it has that. It kind of looks like an Ionic a little bit. Oh, does it? I, I, I mean, I'm I'm not looking at it. I think if it's, I think it's, uh, in, in my mind it's a little bit pointier than this one, but maybe I'm wrong about that. But it has the uh, the solar roof. It has everything. But yeah, they gave up on because the reason the old Priuses looked that, oh uh, yeah, yeah. I guess it is a little bit pointier. I would describe. But I prefer the look of the um, Hyundai actually. Yeah, I, I do too. Yeah, but the new new Prius doesn't look bad. Yeah. But yeah, they gave up on the aerodynamics a bit because the earlier Prius models were all kind of about like the uh, the novelty of getting <clears throat> the best mileage you could out of the the cars. Oh, sure. And so yeah. this one, they've kind of given up on that, which I think is a reasonable thing to do but the, my least favorite thing about my prius is uh and i don't know if this is something that happens in all cars and i just never noticed it i feel like this didn't happen in the older cars that i owned if i'm on the highway or going at a decent speed like over 30 miles an hour if i open one window the entire <laughs> cabin just Wobbles. starts going shoo, 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 yeah. shoo, 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 like i'm in a fucking hel- helicopter <laughs> flying into saigon and i i don't know why and so i always have to open like a, a, a counterweight window it's <laughs> <laughs> something when we hit the tacoma i would i just found it physic there was something that got me physically uncomfortable if i opened the driver window and i did not open the back window of the truck, you know, to let the air flow mm-hmm. through. It just, yeah. for some reason, it, it made me feel like I was just destroying the gas. <laughs> I know that's not the case, but I was like, I need the air to get out of this uh, cabin and go out the back and then I'll be, I'll be moving along. But Grappler John Zorn says, Neelix and Tuvok get stuck in an elevator together. One out of five. Hmm. Fives and ones. So this is Samuel S with Rise, which I'll send to you, which is going to bump away the little Prius. 
See, the Prius also solved the problem by putting that little black piece at the bottom. Yes. So it kind of breaks up the the look there. It's the same reason. It's the same reason why Superman needs red tights. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants Superman to have the red tights on. You take Superman's red underwear away. It, <laughs> the point of it, it breaks up the the costume. It's a design thing. Superman without red tights when it's just blue pants looks weird. I thought you were going to go with a, a Batman analogy because Batman seems like he'd be the one that would be harder to break up that way. They do with they did it with him too. They took the black trunks away from Batman. It looks way actually it looks a little less weird on Batman than it does Superman, but mm. it's still it's weird. Mm. Anyway, <clears throat> rise. I quite like this episode. Actually, we finally get to see Tuvok and Neelix interact on equal footing, and it's and it is fascinating to see how quickly Tuvok loses his composure with Neelix once he is no longer in a real position of authority over him. And there's a lot of entertaining conflict there. That said, the whodunit element that is only introduced in the back half of the story is completely out of left field, and there isn't enough time to really build suspense over who the culprit is. And that CGI death, yikes! Three out of five fired VFX artists. Yep. Artorius says, Rise. So an episode that doesn't really serve a point because it's uh, ironically undermined by itself. If anything, this episode justifies Tuvok's opinion of Neelix. Thank you, Artorius. Because the guy was making it up as he went, bluffed his way through, (laughs) and got lucky. You can't really trust someone like that on a professional level if they're constantly over-exaggerating and most of the time coming up short. The secondary plot was blatantly obvious from the start to finish of who was the of who was who in the big baddie. I'm still fond of asking myself why did Voyager wait till the asteroid was so close to the planet to begin with before it intercepted it? If anything, that was totally on Voyager. Two fake asteroids out of five. Yes, Artorius, you've uh, you've said exactly what I think. Uh, I think that Tuvok's opinion of Neelix is justified. Uh, it's a short one. Point extra G says, Rise, people call this part of the trilogy of suck, but I don't think it's actually that terrible. It's just incredibly mediocre. The only really bad part of the episode is Neelix's little hissy fit. Otherwise, this is okay. Jonathan J.K. Moore says, Rise, the CGI is bad, but the acting and reconciliation between Tuvok and Neelix is some good character work to close what has been an underlying aspect of their relationship ever since Tuvok encountered Neelix in the bathroom and saw his feet for the first time. Two stubbed Talaxian toes out of five. Incel who needs his pants on says, Rise, this has always been my favorite Borg episode in the franchise. Four out of five. Hmm. I'll give you Jonas here with the next one. I believe that Incel's who needs his pants uh, comment on was a joke, but. Oh, that, did they not just leave it in the wrong episode? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. Maybe he did. Who's to say? Who's to say? Rise. In for a penny, in for a pound. So says Janeway in this episode, the current motto of the Penske crew. Mm-hmm. I wonder how much the writers were aware that the relationship between Neelix and Tuvok doubled as a relationship between the show and its audience. I love him, says Neelix of Tuvok. I just wish that the feeling was mutual. A few miscellaneous points. Chakotay seems tired or hungover in this episode. Neelix's sister once showed him the Caves of Tauth. And he had, and he was so impressed <laughs> that he named the space elevator cavity after her. Mm-hmm. Tuvok got to have a Steven Seagal scene in this episode. Overall, bad, but not trilogy of terror bad. Two, do it for Elixias out of five. People are making fun of the CGI. I thought the worst part was the actors having to do a lot of wind tunnel acting and pretending like they're being blown over when they were uh, nowhere near being blown over. The one that got me was when the... When they, when the one guy, the bald guy, tried to, uh, he sets off the 
elevator, so it starts yeah. launching. Yeah. And then Neelix comes in and goes over to the tele the, the the control panel. He has the worst Star Trek standing um, shaking, yeah, standing shaking <laughs> acting I've ever seen. He was bouncing around like he was like in a Devo video or something. <laughs> was, he did have kind of a uh, a prize fighter waiting for the the round to start, kind yeah. of bounce to his. <laughs> I noticed that too. That I feel that, uh, the camera needs to, the camera does a lot of work in selling that shake effect and yeah. making things look bouncy. And they they weren't shaking the camera for Neelix. Uh, a couple more. Royo says, "Rise a cliched plot, but with a space elevator. I like space elevators, so I'm willing to say it's a neat concept. But you can really feel the TV budget when they have to go outside the elevator mid-flight, and the guest stars were awful." But I suppose J.J. Star Trek 09 doing something similar with a massive budget skydiving stunt onto a hanging space laser to have a sword fight was more obnoxious than anything else. So I'll overlook it. At least Rise has the tension of a secret assassin amongst them trying to undermine the crew. Tim Russ was in top form here. It's nice to see a put-upon Vulcan capable of leading a team of survivors to safety without it all going to shit like what happened to Spock in the Galileo 7. Three out of five. Uh, I, will hear, I will hear no shit-talking of the space elevator sequence from Star Trek 2009. Christian Pouch says, Rise, it ain't that bad. It's a huge coincidence that they all happen to be near the space elevator, but Neelix actually gets to be useful in his own way. Plus, Mr. Sklar returned to the surface is funny. Pity he didn't get a chance to say, Hey, Sklar, remember when I said I'd kill you last? I lied. Three out of five. Or, see at the party, see at the Sklar. <laughs> yeah. Throw his arms out at him. See at the party. <laughs> Uh, this one you can read. This is Vault 13 Hero with Rise. A lot of comments on this one. We didn't have a lot of comments on Darkling. The one where Tuvok is a dick to Neelix on an elevator. Hmm. I actually liked Neelix in this episode, felt he was less annoying, and his heart was definitely in the right place. Are Tuvok and Neelix better episodes than Quark and Odo? Nope, but this is a good episode in an otherwise dreadful I'm glad season. He, I'm glad he answered that question and didn't leave that as like a legitimate <laughs> rhetorical now we just need some elevator music. Three sweet, sweet Lilius kisses out of five. Benjamin Espinosa says, Rise, probably the worst this season, and that's saying a lot. It's got Neelix, and it's got another corrupt, nondescript alien race. It's got Neelix pouting over his man crush with Tuvok, and it's got a weird space ladder. What are we doing here? Season three of Voyager, probably the worst it gets. One out of five. Brandon Neal Howell says, Voyager's take on DS9's Ascent. Oh, a murder mystery in a space elevator starring Neelix. Even the synopsis is boring. I'm pleased that Neelix finally stands up to Tuvok, though. Two out of five. And finally, you can read this one, Clay. would go out strong. This is Woodrow with the final comment from the patrons about Rise. Feels like a new Trek episode. Tuvok is correct. No one wants to hear about Neelix's feelings or tragic backstory when there's work to be done. And the contrivance of making Neelix indispensable does not improve the quality of this annoying character. One out of five. I feel like this is a big division between people in this uh, and how they feel. Maybe not how they feel about the episode, but whether or not Neelix is uh, deserving of Tuvok's wrath or if he's not deserving of it. What's the most yeah. sympathetic aspect of Neelix, do you think? Um, I don't know how much you sympathize with him. It's a, uh, maybe I'm just assuming you sympathize with him more than I do, but I, I'm just curious what you would say, if, even if you don't believe it. Probably that he's so desperate to fit in. Mm -hmm. Like that's a fair, you know, he's kind of like a, a puppy in a, in a certain sense. Yeah. 
Would you say, would you, if you were to, would you do anything different if you were to go back in time and write Voyager to change how Tuvok <laughs> portrays that? Do you think? Do you think that the show lives with his sort of pathetic desperation enough? Because I, my, I think my problem with Neelix is that, to me, he comes across more as like he's confident in these things, like he's confident in his annoyingness. You know, yeah. it's it's but not I, like a I David like, Brenty thing or anything like that. Well, but I feel like this episode kind of shows that his confidence is is overconfidence he's compensating for stuff right right so his he always goes into these situations wanting to impress people and he usually fucks it up but he it's not for lack of trying yeah i which is very annoying is a very annoying character trait but i don't think it's entirely unsympathetic okay yeah because I, I, I mean, I would agree, and like, I, I didn't think that this episode was saying anything I didn't really know about Neelix, and that he's trying sure. to impress people. I guess it's more. If that's not the focus of the episode, do you think that Neelix comes across that way? Like, if, if I were to pick another random Neelix episode, would you, and I were to show that to somebody, would they say of Neelix that he's a character who's desperate for other people to like him? I think so. Okay. Because I mean, I feel like his creation of. Uh Hedonism too very much is him trying to uh, get everybody uh, mm. like he's he's the morale officer right like that's his whole job is yeah, to yeah. try and get people's spirits up and but I always you know, get, I always just, think that, justify his own role on the ship yeah I always feel the morale morale officer was given to him <clears throat> because he's so confident and like willing you know he's he's like a person who sure. is always very ready to boost the spirits of things. You know? Yeah. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think he'd be both. But wouldn't he be worse at his job if he was, I guess, I guess is he bad at I his mean, job? I mean, I don't know if he's even, great at his even, job. Yeah, I don't even know if he's good at his job. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll end it there. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the show. Thank you for supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Lipensky file. It's much appreciated. This was Rise, and the next episode is going to be Favorite Son, which is the ending of the Trilogy of Terror. I'm going to put up a new comment block for the remaining episodes of season three, I think. I think we can fit them all in. Maybe not. Maybe there's two more. But anyway, they'll be up on Patreon, so you can leave your thoughts there as well. And Favorite Son is our next episode. Clay, on a scale of one to five, you're going to give this one a three. I think I'm going to move down to a two. Okay. I'm going to give it a two as well. Yeah. Any particular reason? Nah, it's just, you know. It was fine as I was watching it, but then talking about it, it's like, yeah, this is a this is garbage. Yeah, it's not. It's I, not and I mean, like, it's uh, it's it's unfor- like the the average is just getting so low. Yeah, on there. on the show in this run, you know that it's it's tough. I think it's entering that enterprise yeah. thing where it's like I don't know if this is a a three because it's slightly better than terrible, yeah. or if it's if it's actually a two. <laughs> Yeah, my definition is always is that like the twos are just it like it could have been okay, but there's just it's just got something wrong with it. Like sure, it's, it's, sure. and I, I feel like that that's this kind of an episode. It's just they don't focus on the right things, and I um I'm perfectly content with Voyager's average being a two. Though the way that we eventually got to realize that Enterprise's average was a two, you just it's mm-hmm. just a two of an episode, and that's all it is. But. Yeah, we'll see how uh, Favorite Son pans out because that one sounds that one sounds like it has more potential to be terrible. I believe it's a Harry Kim Sex Planet episode. So, oh, okay. So, 
<laughs> so that has uh, that has something written all over it. Thanks everybody for listening. Patreon.com slash the Penske file. Otherwise, join the Discord, subscribe, wherever. Clay, do you have anything you want to say? Uh, check out Rotten Horror Picture Show on Patreon. We're doing the video nasties this year. We just uh, we're doing fun Toby Hooper's The Fun House in August. Uh, we've done all sorts of fun stuff. Mario Bob's Bay of Blood, Lucio Fulci's The Beyond, mm-hmm. The Possession, et cetera, et cetera. And we just, on the main feed, we just did The Exorcist uh, yes. in honor of the late, great Billy Friedkin, which was, uh, we almost went for two hours in that episode. So we talked for it. And I, I didn't accidentally delete it this time, which is no, huge. good, good. Um, got and all the uh, Badass, yeah. And on Badass, we just finished season two of Batman Beyond and we'll be rolling into Batman Beyond Return of the Joker pretty soon. Yeah. We somehow did an hour and 10 minutes on Rise. Maybe it'll be a little bit less after well, the edit, but... we did talk about electric cars for like 15 and resume, minutes. resumes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be... into badass territory in this episode. This is going to be the episode uh, that the Q&A with people are like, do you remember any episode in particular? And this is going to be the one that sticks out because of uh, resumes. So... Mm-hmm. Let us be the dancing Microsoft paperclip of your lives and let us ask if you guys need anything. And we will be back next week with Favorite Son to talk about what I believe is Harry Kim. So thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next time.